Hey, I'm John Reif, and I'm gonna go beyond the smoke with the Thomas Ward. John Reif, welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you for coming in. Yeah, appreciate it. I want you to tell everybody that's watching just a little history about yourself and this great space that you did. You're the first one that did it. Yeah. Really? Um, in Orlando. And, and it was what now? How old? Oh, uh, we had 10 years Ten in years. November. So like, in which five, is impressive. Yeah. yeah. Owner of East End, owner of other properties, yeah. doing other projects. But let's talk about East End because I think it's it's created a whole ecosystem in terms of restaurants coming out and stuff like that. So yeah. how did you come up with the idea? My wife had finished her degree. I was going to start my degree at UCF. And we knew we had this window of time to maybe go explore the country. And so I been in and lived in 40 countries before then. But I had only been in like three or four states. So my wife's like, that's terrible. Go see your own country. So literally, this is back 2007, we started a YouTube channel called Finding America. And we shot 150 videos and just took three months to go explore the country. But we kept going to these cool markets, like some of them that are, you know, owned by cities, some of them that were private, but like Pike's Market in Seattle and Granville Market in um, Vancouver. And so you're seeing all these great markets and going, why don't we have this in Orlando? Like we have such a diversity of cuisine here. I think until you go away, you don't realize how blessed we are. There's so much diversity of cuisine that surely we could support a, a big public market. Um, so I came back and you know, continued my degree, but was sort of going, how, what's happening here? So we just started getting in the scene. I started showing up at, you know, organic growers meetings and green drinks and all these other like events. It's like kind of the token yuppie at the drum circle going, there's something here, granola happening. And I want to be a part of it, but I don't know how to make it a business yet. Started doing festivals in downtown Winter Park four days before um, Thanksgiving each year. Right. Saying, hey, if I bring it together, all the farmers, you can buy from local farmers for Thanksgiving. The idea was we'll do a video. We'll go visit them all. I'm like, I'm too busy with my work and school and whatever. I'm I can't never... do that. I'll just bring them all together in one big thing. So that really was the genesis of the idea of East End was now I have a sandbox full of really cool vendors that most of them were setting up at farmer's markets. Maybe one had a brick and mortar, but most of these guys were kind of pop up and going, I love farmer's market, but I'm setting up and breaking down, setting up and breaking down. Like, what if I had a place that Pain was permanent? So I was talking to, you know, people in the scene and I was like, oh, we really need a building. Like, we need a, we need a developer. And I'm like, wait, that's what I do. <laughs> like, I'm a real estate developer. So started looking for property and looked at a couple of different spots. Actually looked at um, Red Light, Red Light. Um, okay. Uh, I know the owner's a nice guy, but he wasn't looking to sell and I wasn't looking to rent because this was too speculative. It's like, sure. I don't know if this is going to work. Um, so then this church had been vacant in Audubon Park for since 2007. Now we're, I think I bought it in 2012. So it had been a while. And, um, and they would, were trying to convert it to something else and then, then the bottom fell out of the economy. So it, it was vacant, had been vacant, and um, had a lot of development things that had to get done, which is why it sat on the market. Like, you know, we have a stormwater retention pond in the back underneath the concrete. Like we did some stuff that, to make that site viable. But really within the first couple of weeks of announcing that this is going to happen. We had most of our tenants, at least most the original group. I think we still have about half of them, you know, yeah. from original. Um, but yeah, so 2013, we uh, opened and, or yeah, 2013. So maybe it has been a decade. So it's already it been a decade. Been, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been 10 years. Yeah. yeah. At that time, to be clear, I guess the food trucks had started in 2011. Yeah. So that was a, that was a big, that was a big change. Proof of concept. It was like yeah. that market validated the idea. Like people will one travel for really good food, and two, it started allowing people to you know, make a living with 
without having to jump right to a restaurant. Like it was like, okay, how do I do that on brick and mortar? Like our brick and mortars are way more affordable than a 1500 or 2000 square foot space somewhere. Plus you're synergized with these other tenants. But how do we do that? How do we leverage what's happening in the food truck scene? We had the Audubon Park Market that was you know local only and on Mondays, so, right? yeah, on Monday nights. Yeah. So it was it was happening. But I think you're right. I think the food truck scene was when I went ah, this like, this, this is this is going to work. Like people are interested in the varieties of cuisine, and if we can make it more permanent, they'll show up. And so in tandem with the festivals, we'd have three to five thousand people, you know, depending on weather and. Okay, if I can mobilize those people, and all these vendors also come and use their networks to bring people in. We got a pretty good circus. It was early in the market, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for Orlando itself, mm-hmm. as as you saw in the United States, it was happening for a long time. Oh, for sure. And then other markets sprung out, like the Atlanta markets that has sprung up and all that. And it's been great. Yeah. And I've used that kitchen mm-hmm. for the creation of uh, Pick Floyd's. Yeah. So I mean, it's been it's been helpful for a lot of people. Once you started it, obviously, it took off enormously and then you have some tenants that have obviously grown out of there way bigger than way us, bigger which than, is great i mean yeah. you know i mean it's, it's like you don't want to be the center of everything like yeah. at first it felt like you know there were a few of us really pushing the boundaries and then it was like oh great now everybody is i don't want to say i have to i can sit back and relax but it's like oh awesome like because there's a sense of like responsibility when you're doing this brand new thing and people are entrusting you to make it work sure so once it was started working and they started doing their own stuff, the pressure was off a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, there's like, I mean, Gideon's Cookies is like out at Disney Springs now blowing up. You know, you've got Cadence and now Kaya. Lineage Coffee Roasting's around town. Yeah. Farm and House just opened up on Park Avenue. On Park Avenue. Like it's Domu's all over town now and in Jacksonville. So it's been great to see some of those things happen where had they not gotten their start at the market, they may not have happened. Like Low with Cadence and Kaya, like, started farming with me out yeah. front. And then Jen and Mark came and it was like, hey, they have this idea for a Kamayan dinner and great. And I'm like, holy cow, look all these people that came out for this dinner. And they're like, oh, we want to open a little seven seat sushi restaurant. I'm like, I have a vacancy. Have a- so a lot of what we do now is that there's no waiting list. It's like, we're just trying to keep our finger on the pulse of what the community wants and needs. And, and really the micro of that one mile radius. Like how do we serve these people really well so that when you come to visit Easton, you're getting a flavor of that neighborhood or what people in that specific region love. Love. Like I would love to have like some of the other cuisine that's down on I Drive and the tourism corridor. I just don't know that it's supported enough by sure. the neighborhood. Like I love that we're, you know, five, 10 blocks from the Mills 50 district with this amazing, you know, Asian fusion cuisine and stuff and great Cuban. And it's been fun to see things grow out of there for sure. You know? When you started the project to where you are now, what are the major like differences in your head that you've seen obviously throughout the years? Cause I, I feel like the Orlando food scene has changed so much, mm-hmm. right? I yeah. mean, with the food trucks and everything that was going on and then right. East end and all that it's developed much faster than mm-hmm. what it was. Yes. And now we're at this food scene where all of a sudden we have Michelin star rated restaurants, all these things have changed mm-hmm. and we're becoming kind of a major food destination. Now. Right. Right. In Florida, yeah, at least. What is your opinion on where it's going? How has it changed? Because I know East End has adapted. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I tell you, like, day one, we were local only. It was like we had the local roots as an example. She was yeah, a yeah. farm to restaurant distributor, had a beer bar and a veggie stand. And it was a lot about um, buying from local producers and supporting that scene, supporting the where, where can we get fresh sustainably grown produce in central florida and then we started to adapt because when we had cadence or had capo their predecessor they're flying in stuff from japan so someone Mm. was like well this isn't local i'm like 
true. It's local to there, and it's regional, and it's and it's pushing the boundaries in cuisine. So so we kind of had to make that shift and just say, how do we now support things that are truly authentic and unique? And kind of getting away from it has to be within 100 miles, so to, so to speak. So we made that shift, and then I'd say we started started supporting makers more as well. So I think that scene um, was a few years behind the food scene, but you're seeing great local makers and flower shops and I mean, like Rifle Paper Company. I mean, just stuff that was like made here, born here, and now we're kind of exporting it. Um, I'd say from the food scene, and I maybe two and a half, three years ago, I started really getting hard on the second, third generation cultural foods where people were learning from their grandparents and finding ways because of supply chain to source ingredients that made it authentic enough to taste like home. Okay. So I think the challenge before was you had Cisco, US Foods, Gordon's, and whoever, and no one had shiso. It's like this beautiful little, you know, green that's served in a lot of Asian cuisine. But that flavor is so significant in dishes that if you don't have it, it doesn't taste authentic. So when Kappa was able to start buying regionally, you know, recognizable stuff from their home country, but made in America, or like grown in America and sourced by some of the bigger um, distributors, I think we started to turn the corner where there was a big enough market in Orlando for a broader variety of standard pars from a food distributor. Mm-hmm. And so I think that helped a lot where they weren't having to fake it. Like fake even it. even like tortillas and stuff, like getting authentic corn and milling it yourself and like no. it's not just coming in a big bag. Like I think there's some of that where I'm seeing chefs that are going and I we could use Domu as an example, like hand making the noodles, mm-hmm. you know, and and using ingredients that they're they're buying sometimes from Japan because it's the authentic flavor and they're willing to do that and do a 72-hour bone broth. And so I think that level of authenticity is what attracts me to the Orlando food scene and um, going out to restaurants and trying it out. And I would say that the barriers to entry are so much lower from a gatekeeper perspective. I felt like we went through this period where it's like, well, if you're not in the scene and you don't know somebody, good luck. Yeah. Now it's like, really, I mean, if you're hot shit, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. If you are really a cra- your craftsman and you, I mean, you got to have it's some luck and you got to have some marketing prowess. I'd say that's what I love about Orlando now is that the doesn't feel like there's gatekeepers. It feels like you really, maybe the only gatekeeping is is access to the capital. Capital, Because yeah. p- these guys can be awesome at what they do, but no bank is going to look at them. And if they haven't been in business for two years, forget SBA. So there's really, that's the missing link, I think, is trying to find ways to get some of these guys that would be awesome if they had the capital. The capital is a tough part. Yeah. Um, that a lot of people don't realize that it takes it takes some years mm-hmm. under your belt to be able to look at a bank and be like, hey, mm-hmm. we got some financials, we can show you something. Right, right. And then a bank might sound interested, but it's yeah. very tough. Yeah. Very tough. That's totally. why I think, and don't quote me on this, but the pandemic gave access to capital to a lot of restaurants. Sure. You're right. Including me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. That we'll never see again. And everybody was like, why are you taking loans? I'm like, because right. this ain't going to happen right. again. That's ever. a good point. Yeah. That's what the intention of the money mm-hmm. was to keep, yeah. keep it open and keep it flowing and, yeah, and, and keep, it, keep people employed. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that has also kickstarted this second wave of just openings. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of people that are pushing the market that are pushing a lot of restaurants to, to, to come open. Camille, right. Kaya, all that which are different experiences all by themselves. Yeah, I think that's the challenge too, is to try to go from fast casual to a single item, like a dochi. It's just a donut. They don't, I mean, they do some other drinks and stuff, but then, or like a light on the sugar, which is, you know, expanded and it's a bit more, you know, bakery items. And then, so you've got this kind of panoply of choices and just as unique, just as authentic, 
stop in, grab a box of, you know, I'm mean, like Paris Bon Me. I don't know if you've been there, but like love going in there, getting yeah. a Bon Me, getting a bubble tea with my kids. It's cool. Like it's really fresh. It's I love, love the ease of that. Um, so you're seeing these little segments where it's the same cuisine, but experienced in different ways. So like a chef's table versus, versus milk district, like the slide up window, you know, you're standing outside and it's a slide up window. I mean, it reminds me of living in Miami and getting my cafe cubano and just yeah. slide a window up, give me a little Dixie cup. And I'm like, this is so <laughs> rad. Really, yeah, awesome. yeah. So I do like that. I think there, there's promise in that it can feel saturated, but it's not vertically saturated. I think everyone goes, oh, there's so many options. And I'm like, yes, that's true, but I'm not going to go eat at Camille every night or uh-huh. Kaya or doshi or whatever it's like you know you need need to have the variety of experiences looking at it from a different point of view in terms of restaurants like i'm in the fast casual world and i'm going into full service like those type of restaurants it it's sometimes hard for me to even comprehend because it's a special event it's 10 seats it's expensive yeah so it's not a thing that you're like going weekly Mm -hmm. and you tend to think like wow how hard is it to get 10 customers paying 250 300 a pop right but all these restaurants are packed. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, at which some is point, impressive. At some point, you must you have to reach saturation. But Orlando is becoming such a noticed destination. To your point with Michelin coming, that people come. Actually, I think it was like New York Times or Wall Street Journal today was talking about food tourism. That people are going like that's the thing. I mean, not that it wasn't before. We always are going to new cities and wanting to eat food. But there are people going. I'm specifically traveling there to eat, not to go to Disney, not to go to Universal or whatever. I'm like, I'm going because the food scene is that incredible. What I think is really fascinating is the whole, you know, the fast casual, the f- full service restaurant. I'm, I'm really interested to see your journey in that and and how it feels on both sides of that fence. It's a whole different level, actually, to, me, to in my experience. I mean, obviously, you're now adapting to sales necessarily because now you're going directly to the table and doing the sales at the right. table where you have not a lot of control yeah of what that person is telling them sure huh. for They're me like miniature salespeople. i didn't even think about that yeah it's 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 a little tougher because now the sales are going away from a computer that mm-hmm. you know everything in a fast casual world it's a little bit more controlled right and it's a little bit easier i think mm-hmm. <laughs> um when you bring in liquor now you're bringing in you know, bartenders and yeah. and something that's very hard to keep inventory mm-hmm. of. Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and then when you do full service that you're going to the table, I think it changes that whole training. They have to be well trained, well versed, understand the menu, selling something, trying something. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel the whole process has been different. What I think is important is obviously, like we're saying, the whole market is shifting. Mm-hmm. I feel, I sure. Feel, I don't know. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's t- why I want to ask. Yeah, well, I'm curious, like from your perspective. I mean, where do you, what are you seeing when you say uh, the the market's shifting? Well, I'll ask you. For example, how many times do you go out to dinner a week? Hmm. Once or twice. Twice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's say once or twice. And when you go out, are you looking for value or are you looking for upper scale? Are you looking? On the higher end side, maybe twice a month. Twice a month. Somewhere. Like on a date with my wife or something like that. Right. The rest of the time, it is generally what is delicious, healthy. I mean, as for us, for as for a family. Or I've got young athletes and my wife's, you know, we are both pretty healthy. And can I get it fast? And that being said... Like, for instance, like, we'll, we'll, you know, get catering from you guys because it's also, like, there's the whole other side of not going out but getting the food delivered, C- delivered picking yeah, it up yeah, and yeah. the ease of that. Like, we'll have a dinner party with people, and it's a casual one. I'm like, perfect. Like, Pig Floyd's 
stack the table and it's so easy for us. Two nights a week is totally accurate between going out to eat and picking up stuff. And picking up. Yeah. Okay, so you're including that. Because I feel like the whole restaurant scene, it's getting to a point where the frequency is changing. We were always focused in when our supermarkets going to equal to the sales of restaurants. And that happened about three years ago. Oh, really? Where restaurants surpass yeah. supermarket sales. People are eating out more right. dollar-wise. Right. Than, okay. And then the supermarket sales obviously went into prepared foods where you see the whole foods of the world and all the other ones going into that okay, world. Okay, you're right. Yeah, right. bigger bigger footprint of prepared food. Profit in supermarkets, and I come from the supermarket world, is not there. Right. It's right? very, it's very, very, very lean. Yeah. Where you make the real money is prepared food. Huh. You're right. right. Totally. So then all of a sudden this shift happened. Yeah. I mean, last night I went to Publix and you look at the bill at Publix and you go, wait, maybe it's even better to just go out, mm -hmm. buy food, let's say Chipotle or whatever. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is I don't have to throw shit away. I don't have to clean dishes. I don't have to do all these other things. Yeah. And look, I'm a decent cook and my wife's a great cook. But we're not as good as the restaurant. Sure. So, sure, and, sure. and we don't have access to those ingredients oftentimes. Right. So it's like we're not going to ever be able to recreate that in the house. And that's why I say frequency is changing. It's just I feel people f think that it's easier to just go out, right? And mm -hmm. it's just I'll go out to the restaurant. I'll pick it up. Uh, obviously, the Uber Eats of the world, which now, believe it or not, I think their sales are going down because I feel the economy, you know, looking for savings in mm -hmm. some parts would say, hey, I'll get in the car and I'll go pick up the meal. Right. Because it's cheaper than ordering from Uber. Oh, yeah. Right? I don't have to pay that extra $10. And sure. I don't have to pay that extra fee or whatever. So I feel like there's a shift in the restaurant business that's going to happen a little bit more. But, you know, you, you might see it more with the market style because I feel like those type of people get more of a, a resurgence as people go out and look for variety. Yeah, I think the a benefit of a market for sure is there's no veto vote. It's like there's something for everybody. For everybody. So a family can come and someone's you're going to find something. I mean, if you can't, then your kid is just, a, you know, a, a, <laughs> he's, he's a pain <laughs> in your ass. Um, but for the most part, families can find something there. And I think that's true of other areas in town. If there's a variety of stuff in the neighborhood, like plenty of times we will go to one restaurant knowing that either two doors down or three doors down is something that the kids will like. Sure. That's still good, but we just don't particularly want to eat that. Maybe they want to eat sushi and we want to eat Thai. But if it's in a district, like when we, you know, like with Millennia, we developed in Millennia, like we had all these furniture stores that kept coming. And you're like, <laughs> but you know, your competition's across the street. And they're like, yeah. But if they go to our competition and they don't like what they see, they're going to come to us next. And so I think that commingling of different concepts in a, in a neighborhood or like a main street district or whatever is so vital because it just means that a family can come in and you can pop around and get different stuff. Like we will go to a restaurant that has boba tea. But it's not as good as the one we know two doors down. So we'll order there and then go down to the boba tea. Even though it has it, it's like, but it's so close. We'll, we'll go get it at the other one. So I do think that commingling with other, you know, like-minded businesses helps markets specifically, but also expand that to a neighborhood scale helps a lot. Well, it worked for the food trucks. That's what we yeah, did yeah. originally, yeah. right? Originally, we were all separate and separate gas stations and all that. And then when we started commingling and doing it together, it got better. Do you obviously. miss those days? No. No, no. I, th I think a food truck is much harder than a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, like, there's like, a lot like, of moving parts. There's the maintenance on the truck. There's going to the activity, getting the food prepared, traveling to the event, turning on everything. Will the event be good? Will, Will the event be good? Yeah. Will it rain? Oh, yeah. How many trucks are they bringing to this event? You know. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of other factors, but. Is it still a viable way to start? 
Yes. Okay. It all encompasses like how good of a marketer are you or how good is your food or stuff like that. But it depends, right? Because you get a lot of people that are doing different things that are moving into a market. You can't, you can't start, let's say a Camille in a food Mm -hmm. truck. But that's actually a fascinating idea to do an eight seat chef's table out the side. I mean, it, it, it's fascinating, but you would have to be get hard. somebody. Yeah, I mean, and where, where's the location? But where's the location? I, mean, I love, love right. concepts like that. But like Wafu is a good example upstairs. They're, you know, Taiyaki, you know, Japanese waffle thing. It, man. The more we allow people to get market validated and to prove their concept and to get out there, that's where a food truck or pop-ups or whatever matter. I don't know that that's a viable business longer mm. term because one, at that scale, you have to be owner-operated. There's just not enough margin for you to work on the business instead of in it. So at some point you've got to scale, and, and that's really where I think the next level is, is to get these people that were great chefs to then either bring in a partner or they start getting some business acumen and they work on the business. But to say that I'm glad to hear that you feel like you know food trucks are still viable because I mean Wafu went that path to become one of our tenants, and I could tell before they showed up. I'm like, you guys are going to do great. I think a lot of people, and this is strictly my opinion, a lot of people that go into the food truck world trying to open a restaurant. I think they do too much. I was at an event this weekend that we did with other food trucks, and it's just a lot of food on a menu mm-hmm. instead of focusing yeah. on two, three things that you're really good at mm-hmm. and getting yourself known for that. That's something that I feel is good because now you're trying your marketing. You see what works or doesn't work and adjust. Yep. You don't have to pay a lot of rent, mm-hmm. right? You You have a food truck that has some sort of value. I mean, catering is really where the business flows for marketing dollars. Meaning if you go to a catering, you're getting 200 people Mm -hmm. trying your food paid for by somebody else. Right. So it's just free marketing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you're making money. Yeah. So that's why I think the food trucks work. Mm -hmm. But I I mean, you can't do a Camille, like a 10 seat Mm -hmm. something to get people to try your food. So you have to kind of adjust, you know? So that's always a balance for us too, is trying to find a way so, so we definitely are still in the incubation game. Like we want to have, and but the incubation could be we just keep really relevant and curate really well, and you're getting that versus going between a nail salon and a dry cleaner. Right. So it could be that that the curate that the curation is the incubation. It's me going. I know you don't have it quite figured out yet, but I know if you come here and I take a chance on you, like mm-hmm. I haven't checked anyone's credit report that ever signed up with me ever. I just go. I know where you live <laughs> and if we play nice together, it's going to work out. Sure. Um, so I think, but th- to your point, like w- some of these brands have grown, but you know, like Seattle, uh, Pike's place market still has the original Starbucks. They could have kicked them out a long time ago. And so I think there will be some that are, keep. that are so signature that we keep. Um, and there's enough margin and people, you know, that are uh, over it at some point. They're like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to is something a else. Perfect yeah, it's a great one. Place to keep there. I think yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. So I think that, that uh, you know, f- allowing and supporting the businesses as they grow out are, it's the fun of what we do in the industry. I mean, so, so many people that you've helped just as an, in mentoring and being available and o- open and going, yeah, this is a drag. And how do you get through planning and zoning? And how do you get your license? And all the stuff that goes with that, um, that if you get them over that first hurdle, then it's like, okay, I can go do more. And so I love it when, when the first, maybe Gideon's was the first one, when they had more Instagram followers than us, I'm like, solid. That's great. Like, just go. We're, we are we are the circus. Like, right. no one, like P.T. Barnum probably would have had an Instagram account, but it wouldn't have been as big as the bearded lady, you know? Like, so, That's you know, uh, we, we want to still be relevant to the community, but also I love that the things that have been born specifically at East End that have gone on to really kick ass.
it's funny that you call it the circus. So what I'm trying to do, I call it the traveling circus. Traveling circus. Yeah, 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 yeah. because I'm trying to build five different concepts that we can travel to other cities with. That's a good idea. So it's sort of a market, mm -hmm. but with five different concepts, right? Yeah. Um, what have you thought of developing another market or do you, how do you shift? Obviously from your development standpoint, you do still development, but how, how does that shift with East End? Do you feel that there's other spaces for markets in other cities? I think every city, Main Street, deserves to have a place where it's not so hard to rent, where it's a smaller space. It's a step between a food truck and a full brick and mortar somewhere. It's like this kind of happy medium to try stuff out. It's been 10 years. Why haven't I done another one? Because I feel like if I do, it takes some of the fun out of having this one as like mm -hmm. the baby. And because on the back end, I've been able to invest in stuff coming out of East End. And that, I think once I, I mean, I'm 47. So once I got. Man, you look fucking young. Good for you. <laughs> Thanks. You look once I got into my mid 40s, I'm like, I really want to be banking on people younger that have more hustle. Like, I've got, you know, six more months with my daughter before she goes to high school. And so just trying oh, wow. to enjoy that part. That too. Like, I really try to stay pretty balanced in all of this. And so, yes, I could go do other markets. I probably could have licensed East End and done a bunch of other stuff. But it's like, I also have boring real estate that I do, like traditional uh -huh. real estate that pays the bills too. Like I bought a shopping center and it's got traditional tenants. And But I am seeing some of our stuff being leased by guys coming out of East End or other concepts that were born in Orlando and have one or two concepts. Like you know, like we have Lineage out by UCF is in one of our buildings. And so we're seeing that too. And then working with guys like you and Johnny and saying, okay, if we've got a group of concepts that are proven and we have a shopping center that's you know got a few weak links that we could buy the shopping center fix it up and put some really cool stuff in there. That's that's when we turn that nozzle, I think. Sure. Like even Johnny would say this too from from Bento Group. Like there was a time when that was still a small operation and they went, we want to play with the big guys. So we want to be in the nice shopping centers. Like we, we need to step up what we're doing. They're from from branding, design, systemizing things. I think that's happening everywhere. I mean, you're doing it, you know, on the daily with your concepts, but then you've got those. And so you have others that are really ready to be in A-class shopping centers. And that's That's where we win, is when something that was born here and, and, and nurtured here can then go be in an A-class shopping center in Jacksonville or Waterford Lakes or Nona or anywhere, and not doesn't have to be in this unique little you know market thing. Like the goal is to get those concepts where they can survive anywhere. Do you feel that sometimes though the people that are like in your market? Because I I feel like I had a tough time understanding what a A plus markets are, mm -hmm. right? Because it, it it it's different. Sure. Insurance, personal guarantees. Yes. Contracts. Mm -hmm. Everything looks very different. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people maybe that are listening to us that are restaurant people kind of sometimes don't understand that that, that is a whole different deal. Yeah. Right. Because you're taking a big risk. Mm -hmm. We're talking about anywhere. I mean, you can't build anything for less than half a million bucks. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I would say that a small, like, you know, single type little, little bakery, something probably 350, 400. But yeah, you're not anything quality. You're not in a 1500 square foot space. You're at half a million dollars. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's and personal guarantee and 10 year lease. Yeah. And and no, you can't sublease. Like, yeah, it's I mean, our lease is 45 pages, so it's not. You know, not a handshake. And sure. we don't put them out unless someone's an asshole. So for the most part, we don't ever look at the leases. But yes, you're getting into big time, big boy pants type stuff. 
you know, that can be scary, but that's why you've got to prove it somewhere else. Somewhere else, you know. And, and I try to mentor people in the sense of if you ask for my time, I'll give you my feedback. Like two, two ladies that I met with last week, I'm like, close shop mm -hmm. or don't do this. Mm -hmm. And they were like, whoa, this is not what I expected coming out of here. And I'm right. like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not as easy. One of them, I told them, you should just shut down the business and go get a job. Yeah. Because it's not for you. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just not for everybody. I know that sounds terrible, but. It's a long grind until, until you either take on some debt to scale up and hire the right people and you mm -hmm. really make a push, which is a whole different level of, do you want to take responsibility, that risk? Yeah. Responsibility, yeah. Responsibility, or you're, you're, you're grinding. I mean, it's you, it's you for, it's you hardcore probably till store three, wouldn't you uh -huh. say? Yep. Like until you have the economy of scale to, to step back and have a GM or a, you know, chief Operations operating officer. Manager, and, yeah. Yeah. Every call, every, every decision is, goes back to you. Now, how do you shift from owning a market to now being an investor in the background? Yeah. How did that happen? Uh, so I'd seen so, no, yeah, I'd seen so many concepts come out of there and I had been advising even like with, with Cadence, like I advised them a lot on that, that their first location coming out of the market and did that with everybody, just pro bono. Like, I'm a landlord, let me see your lease. I'm like, oh dude, don't do that. Ask for a lower escalator, you need options. Like, and just advising people. And then seeing in their businesses too. So like the first one we invested in was Lineage coming out. They didn't know how to get a PPM done or anything. So I introduced them to attorneys. And so I was there helping. Uh -huh. And then they're like, well, would you invest? I'm like, I've done all this work for you. I know what your books look like. Yeah, I'll invest. Yeah. And so then each investment got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and so I really do see that path of doing two things. One, I have a lot of traditional investors that invest in our real estate that um, would love the pride of ownership of a restaurant versus a shopping center somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to bridge that gap. So I've, I've got a book coming out called Second Store Success. And it's that gap. It's, it's jumping from one or two stores to now I want to scale because Investors want scale. Like the one-off thing is really risky. But they want can, growth. If you can put it in a pool and do five or six restaurants and, and to take something from two to three stores to six or seven, I think that gets investors' attention because it's also a big enough nut that they're willing to go, all right, I, I don't want it's not, to – it's not ten or $20,000 here and there. It's like I'm going to put in 100000 or 200000 and yeah. then really grow something. Sure. Um, so I think my interest in that is that now having had the unique – perspective of seeing so many businesses come through. I mean, I have a pretty good radar now and go to your point of talking to people going, mm, you're not cut out for this. Right. Or wow, like your branding, your systems, your people, your culture is is so on point. And if I can help take some of the risk out by putting you in the right locations um, and bringing in the right kind of money that are value-added investors, that's where I think the future lies, is finding a couple concepts that are born here. And there's some that have already done this. I mean, um, uh, I just saw Jimmy Hula's has like expanding. And I'm like, yes. we, we had two, we had two of those before. Actually, Lineage is in a former Jimmy, Jimmy Hula out oh, by UCF. Really? Oh, UCF. So we have local brands that are doing it. Um, I don't know that like that one doesn't feel like tied into the community, um, which are, that's really what I'm into is the, like the owner operators that are, that like you, you are a student of the craft. Like you love what you're doing and tr trying new things and tweaking recipes and like with pig, pigs, like trying new dough. And yeah. you know, I, I just love that, um, that there's someone behind that. Um, but I do think the future is in, in Orlando back in 2008, nine, somewhere around there was definitely on the, the whole venture digital, like how do we support tech? Uh -huh. But that ecosystem didn't exist in restaurants. Cause I felt like it was like, well, it's us, it's them. Like there wasn't like this general pool of funds or understanding of how to invest in restaurants. It sure. felt very foreign and people were used to real estate, like 
here in Orlando. So I think getting into that comfortability with something different is my goal. What do you look for in a company? Like, I imagine that you're looking at the culture. I imagine that you're looking at the operator. Right now, currently, I'm looking at how scalable can it be without losing authenticity or okay. losing its, losing what it does. Can, can Does scaling, does having one in every corner of town take away from its charm or the way the community perceives it? Because I have no interest, I have plenty of opportunities to invest in, you know. One-offs. We, or, or like I looked at a group that's buying 80 Wendy's. I'm like, it doesn't excite me. I could care less. Like that's not going to move the needle on community. But 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 companies that are, you know, still have that sense of um, proprietor, ownership, you know, um, authenticity, they're still innovating. Like that's part of it too is like, I don't want something that you go, you create, like Starbucks to me is so bland and tired at this point compared to, you know, small coffee roaster operators. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I'm looking at stuff that I think is one already proven, like, you know, two, three locations, sales are pretty comparable in each one, you know, overhead employees, all those percentages kind of map out. Right. Um, and then looking at if you do another store and another store, is the Instagram still feeling vibrant? Like, are they still able to talk to their customers? Are they still innovating? Or are they just, now it's just scale. We get away from innovating. Because I think that's where, ideally, I think I probably get in, help grow some concepts to like 10, 15 stores. And And at that point, I'm too bored. I'm like, sell it or keep some equity in and benefit from somebody that's going to grow it like crazy. Um, Take a minority stake. Um, but I do think that you know, I just think at that point you're you're right in the money because mm-hmm. at that point that changes. Yeah, that company has to take take a whole chain. And, and, and the investor that's interested in that level is is really more looking at totally bottom line. Like I'm willing to give up three, four percent, five percent maybe off the par to make sure that it's still a cool concept that people have a pride of ownership that they step in and go, this is different. Let's talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that because that's an interesting perspective as an investor. Um, so for example, like when I bring investment in, I talk to this, to, to whoever it is. And I'm very straightforward into like, Hey, this is not only bottom line, you have to take care of, you know, your restaurant so that you continually can run it. Like sometimes labor's high, mm-hmm. sometimes food costs is high. Cause there's certain things like yeah. everything is not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Now let's say an investment capital world. That shit don't fly. Yeah, once you get to a certain level, you you also have a fiduciary responsibility to the investor in their mind to seek return at, at all all costs. At all costs. Um, unless the ethos from the beginning has been we are working with these types of businesses, we're gonna make value decisions for the sake of the brand and the sake of the community so that it continues to stay authentic and cool and innovative. And we're not gonna just do this, you know, we're not switching to Arthur's flour because it's cheaper it will taste like shit. You know, you can sell a lot more of it cheaper and the margins go up, but then you lose the quality of this. So I think that's, that's the balance. And, you know, it's certainly what at at Easton, why I didn't have other investors is I wanted the ability to pick somebody who had no creditworthiness, who had no business acumen, but given the right environment would thrive. Um, And so I, I do think once you get that 10, 12, 15 store level, it really does become about, it's just, it's a machine at that point. It's a machine. Yeah. It's a cash flow machine. And I'm a, I'm a I'm a starter, like well, I want to start I mean, stuff. I'm a creative guy. I want to I want to help nurture things in, in the early stages, and then when it, I I've had to give myself permission to not have to be that next level to go. I'm good. 
like I've helped create some really cool things and launch them, but I don't really want to take it and just double down on this thing for the rest of my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the intelligent way of looking at it. But people have to understand what their level of investment is mm-hmm. because and what's their level of business acumen? Like, what do you want to do? Because some people just want to take it and just exploit it and sell it. Yeah. You know, and then there's concepts that you just baby them and you have one or two. That'll be interesting. I mean, the whole idea of cash flow and, and you know, keep, get yield and like the, the more established the family, typically they're not looking for an exit. If they can get something that's going to return a healthy return and in perpetuity, they're like, just keep it going. Because then, because I'm in this, I'll sell the piece of property. I'm like, great. I'm what do I do now? Yeah. Where do I put this money now? You know? And in this market, like, oh, I got a great cap rate. I'm like, okay, now what? You know? Now what? Yeah. So, um, but yeah. A lot of people are getting to that point too. Like where, and, and, and I tell you, I don't know what you see in the market, but I see a lot of people that want to retire, mm-hmm. retiring. Yeah. Um, a lot of people that are looking to get into the market, going in and finding money to do it. Yeah. Um, the, the, the issue again stems into the, you know, you just signed a 10 year lease. Now you're stuck with this business for the next 10 years. Like you can't go anywhere. You can't, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of people think that, oh yeah, well I have flexibility now that I own this business. No, no, no. Doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Right? right now you have an asset that you have to take care of, that you have to keep going yep. for the next 10 years. Yeah. Right. So in your world, in the marketplace world, there's a sense of that you know, I can shift, I can move. Uh, if this doesn't work, I can leave the right. food truck world. If this doesn't work, I could sell. Yeah, you're crossing the Rubicon and, and dedicating yourself to a longer term thing when right. you start to scale. Right. Yeah. And I and I want people to understand that because I think a lot of people going and, and we talk, we're talking about it. We're talking from sm- small scale to next level. You know, there's a disparity. there, yeah, Right. Big. Yeah. Your insurance let's say at an east end is maybe five grand a year my insurance at pigza will be forty eight thousand dollars a year wow mine's 13 though but it's not no no i'm just saying yeah i'm just saying as a as a restaurant in east end probably yeah. Those, oh yeah there's just got to be tiny yeah, yeah tiny compared. two to three thousand yeah, 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 totally you're you're in that yeah. small world and all of a sudden you look at this and you go whoa yeah, yeah. you know 48 grand yeah. what the fuck yeah well listen that went up a lot by the way, oh, recently, yeah, <laughs> just, just shockingly, yeah, we yeah have, shockingly, we can yeah. have a whole yeah. topic. But you're right. I that. think that that's that's people have to decide if they if they want to scale and grow, and they're dedicated. Like uh, signing leases with big companies for twenty something years. Like I'll be what sixty seven by the time this yeah, thing yeah, goes yeah. into options or whatever. So yeah, I think this is not once you start to decide to scale, you're you're stepping into a different realm. And either you find partners that are comfortable with that, so it takes that psychologically off of you, and you find people that go, well, yeah, I'm here. I'm going to be a restaurateur, owner of restaurants for the rest of my career, my life, and into retirement. Like, that's the whole goal. Do you feel there's a lot of people like that? Or are you seeing more of that? No, I'm saying more me. I know you, but I'm just saying, like, now that you're, like, talking to like-minded people, do you feel that there's investment capital out there? Yeah, I mean, like, even just, but, like, I had hung with Julie Petrakis from Ravenous Pig the other night. And just saying, like, we, we've all got our stuff going, and then we're saying, that's great. We're all operating that. But then what? what's the next level? Like, how do we start investing in these people that are younger, that want to hustle for the next 20 years? Mm-hmm. And then we're we're bringing our unique gifting to them in capital or know-how or value-added investment, and they're running with it. And I think that's that's how we start to level up and, and, and out. Like, I don't – don't call me if someone doesn't show up to run the walk. Yeah, like, yeah, that's sure. Not that's job. not your but, job. Yeah. But there's someone who goes, I want that job. That's a really great job. For me, so I think trying to find other folks that have been in the business that either have capital or have access to capital from previous gigs that go, 
let's go support this. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't have to be our thing. Like, let's find someone that needs the capital and we can advise them. And like, that was like when I invested in Lineage for the first time. That was the first time I invested in anybody that was using my money, mm -hmm. you know, that I didn't have full <laughs> control over. But I knew I could come in and fix something if it went wrong, you know, to some degree. And I'm not a coffee roaster, but I'm like, you know, looking at the lease or there's issues with the city or whatever, I can step in there and help. So I think we have some of these people that are have experience in different industries that could speak into the restaurant world in Orlando. Um, and there's so much private equity out there nationally that, that, are, that are also invested in deals in Orlando from different firms. So I think it's a, I think the time is ripe to grow some concepts here, build some portfolios and, um, you know, start looking to, to create cash flow for investors. When is this book coming out? I want to read it. So it's done. It's, <laughs> uh, well, the, so I, we just finished the interior design, but the cover's done. It's all been written and edited probably before summer. Okay. Because we're going to do some, um, we, we teach food entrepreneurship. So we'll do some lead up stuff to that and then go, hey, you want level two? Here's the book. And then after that, come back in the fall. So twice a year, I want to do like 101 in the spring. Okay. And then 102 in the fall. So How like, do people sign up? Uh, so if they go to secondstoresuccess.com, okay. we'll I'll just have a, a link there. They can put their email address in. And as this stuff comes up, we'll ping them. And a lot of people have questions about the restaurant business, I feel like. And, and it's great that you're a resource now, mm -hmm. you know, and you've been through the whole process and yeah. have years under your belt. Right. Right. So I think it's important that people go out and ask these questions because, like, I, I think under capital, capitalization is a humongous Big problem in the restaurant business, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm part of the problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you start thinking, no, you know, you know, you have this bot this budget for a restaurant, and all of a sudden the budget oh, no. goes out of the water. Yeah. And you're like, fuck, this whole thing changed. No, you, you, know? just, you just have to value engineer. Right, you just right. Go look at, every time we're going to make the best decision we can, but the budget is – the budget it is, is going to be what sacred. it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah like sacred. there was no way to budget East End Market. Sure. Like I'm just going to go in there, and well, every tough. every decision yeah, is going to be right. value engineered, and we're going to do the best we can, and it's going to cost what it's going to cost. It's great that you guys are doing that as a group, and I think obviously helping people develop as entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. yeah, is the biggest thing that I think you have my full support and whatever you need, but. I feel like people need that support and somebody to talk to to understand what the level of the project is. My, the goal really is to make them consciously incompetent. They know that they don't know. And then here's the path to know it. Otherwise, they come in and they don't even know that they don't know it. Yeah. They think they got it all figured out. And like, yeah. dude, there's like all this stuff you don't even know that you need to know. And so if I can get you to the place where you go, oh. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, there's a lot yeah, I need yeah, to know. Yeah, yeah. And either you find the partners, you get the education or whatever, but we need to set you up for success because we don't want Failure. failures sure. in Orlando. We need people to be successful. Yeah. Um, so even stopping them before they start. Yeah, stopping them before they it. invest. Yeah. I mean, because I feel a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, that's going to cost 300 grand. No, no, no. It's going to cost yeah. double. <laughs> right. No, no. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. They start talking about. And and I do it in even with Lake Highland, yeah. like middle school students. Oh, yeah, it's cool. just interesting to see their perspective in cost. Yeah. Like they just research basic things and they go, Oh yeah, it's gonna cost fifty grand to build this restaurant. I'm like, where? Yeah, yeah. yeah Let me yeah, put it yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you the wire right Where's now. That Google. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna Google that up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just feel like a lot of people need to understand what the whole process is and bringing them into that understanding of how does this work and how long is it going to take for permits and how do you yeah. sign that contract and what's the best practices in terms of 
financing equipment or what yeah. do I do, do you here? Lease it? Do you buy it? Yeah, yeah, all that. Yeah. So, we're so I think that's that for great. Sure. Yeah. Don't worry, I'll be tapping you for, for an interview on our in our <laughs> world too. So. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, man. Man, pleasure. appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Thank Keep you. Doing what you're doing. Hey, thanks for watching. I'm going to sit here till you subscribe. Hello? Subscribe.